Let's look at our Bibles to 1 Peter 2, 13 to 25. First Peter two, thirteen to twenty five. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors, who are sent by him who punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your master with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable for God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 13. This is probably one of the defining passages in terms of our relationship with government. And uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, I don't really like what it says sometimes. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. However, it is the word of God. And God's word is authoritative. It is true. It controls or it must control my life. Romans chapter 13. And let me read for you the first seven verses. The Bible says that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Remember, I said if you misuse the Lord's table, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. If you rebel against the authority God has instituted, you also bring judgment on yourself. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Not rocket science. 
for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. I don't really know what it's like to be in school these days. My grandkids just got out of school. The last day of school was yesterday. And when I think back to my being in school, it seems like it was probably somewhere in the middle of Middle Ages. I don't know about you, but I had sort of a love-hate relationship with my teachers. When I wasn't in trouble, I usually had a pretty good relationship with my teachers, and I didn't need to be afraid of them. But somehow it, somehow it didn't seem that it took a whole lot, and I was out of their good graces. In fact, trouble was sort of my middle name, and I was very used to being there. And back in the day when I went to school, we still had things like detentions. Do we still have those today? No more detentions? Okay. Um, we, had, um, we had to stay after school. Sometimes you had to stay in for recess. We had to stay. Out. Jeremy, no detentions? Not really. You've never had them anyway, right? There you go. All right. Um, corners. Is that still a punishment? When I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in corners. You guys know what that is? Standing in corners? I had a little three-legged stool when I was a boy in Holland. And, and my mom used to plant me on that in the corner. And, and then in school, I had a stand in the corner with my hands behind my back and my nose. Which, they still do that? No, man. We had to write lines. I will not throw spitballs. You know, 500 lines. So you wrote, I, 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 will, 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 not, 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 not. And then if it wasn't neat enough, you had to do them over again. I got called names in school, and then there was corporal punishment. Yesterday, as we were coming back from, from Rostern, we stopped in in PA at the, at the Optimist uh, place there, the tourist center, and they have a little museum there of the police and correctional officers museum uh, and if you want to there's some neat stuff in there all kinds of weapons that the guys made in prison and all the guns that the the, the police and, and the correctional officers used to use but they use something called the paddle uh, it was a nasty instrument they had a rack there where they would it was like a cross you know like 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 this they would strap you up against that and they used the cat and nine tails on you. And that was last used in 1960. And so was this paddling table. They would put you on the paddling table, pull your pants down, put, and, and, and put a black hood over your head. And then they had these paddles. They were about that long, they had a nice handle on them, and a strip of leather about that wide with all kinds of little holes in it. Because they said the little holes, when they nailed you on the, on the backside with those paddles, it would raise welts, you know? Sounds like... 
It sounds like, well, yeah, that was my day. Uh, I didn't get there, but... But somehow it seems like a lot of people have a lot of hate, love-hate relationship with the government as well. When everything goes our way, and we get everything that we feel we're entitled to, we're pretty happy with those who rule over us. When things don't go our way, when, you know, the grader leaves a ridge of snow in front of my driveway in the wintertime, like I'm, you know, people are on the phone here. When things don't go our way, when we don't get everything to which we're entitled, and when we have to fork out money and pay for what we think are dumb things that the government supports, we usually complain vociferously. Vociferously means loudly and with many words. We tend to get a little indignant when the government does something we don't like. But... As Christians, we believe the Bible is the authoritative manual for life. So, when it comes to our relationship with those who govern us, the Bible needs to govern my attitude and my actions rather than my feelings and my opinions governing my attitudes and actions. The Bible says you and I, Christians, need to submit to and honor our government. So let me give you a couple of biblical principles on government. Here is the first one. God puts the government in place. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone, and the Bible tells us this two different ways. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Why? There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 said he changes about God. He said he changes times and season. He sets up kings and deposes them. So what that means is this. In spite of all the election rhetoric, in spite of all the electioneering, in spite of all the racketeering and manipulation and coercion and corruption and military might, in spite of all the fighting and yelling and bamboozling and backroom maneuvering, in spite of all the graft and bribery and political scheming and political marriages and alliances and outright ungodliness, God puts the governments of this world in place. In spite of everything that people do, God puts the governments of this world in place. When we have an election in Canada, you and I have the privilege and the responsibility of going out there and voting. Now, whether or not we get our way, God puts the government in place. Does that, mean, does that then mean, say, that we, we don't need to bother going out and voting? No, it doesn't mean that. And one of the privileges of living in a democracy is that you and I can get involved. We can get involved in governing, or we have a voice, or we have, we have leaders to whom we can talk. There are times that, that I've gone to our, our MLA, and there are times that I've talked to our MP when I've had a concern, and we have the privileges of doing that. Is democracy the best or most biblical form of government? No, it isn't. 
The most biblical form of government is a theocracy. The problem with a theocracy is what happened in Israel many years ago is that people usually get in the way of that. In the end times, when Jesus comes back, he will rule. And there won't be any need for politics because it'll be his way. And then you ask yourself, and I ask myself, what about the atrocities of humanity? What about people like Hitler and Stalin, like Idi Amin, like Milosevic, the butcher of the Balkans, Assad in Syria right now? But it means that God is still in control. Do we blindly submit? No. Even in the New Testament, the apostles were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And their response was, we must submit to God rather than men. And there comes a time where we resist evil, where we stand up for what is right, where we fight that which is wrong. But God puts the government in place. And even when the government is corrupt, God has a reason for doing so. So that's one of the principles of government. God puts the government in place. Number two, here's the second principle. God controls those who rule whether or not they acknowledge him. Whether or not those whom God puts in power acknowledge God or not, God still controls those. The Bible says, Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he wishes. One of the things about being Dutch is in the springtime, when the snow starts to melt, I want to make ditches. I want to direct water. I want to see it run. And I want to see it run in the right places. And in the same way that we manipulate water in order to drain this northeast of Saskatchewan, Sask water had to do all kinds of work so that the land could be suitable for farming. God directs the heart of the king. The Bible says it's in his hand. He directs it like a water course wherever he wishes. When you read through the book of Isaiah, God says, I'm going to do something you've never seen before. He said, I'm going to whistle. I'm going to whistle for the Assyrians to come like you and I would whistle for a dog. And God says, they're going to come like a swarm of bees. And I'm going to come and, and get the Assyrians to come and they're going to take care of their enemies. And then after they get done taking care of their enemies, I'm going to punish them because their heart's going to become proud. And they're going to say, I'm the one who did this. God says, without realizing that I'm the one who motivated them, I'm the one who gave them the power, I'm the one who gave them the might to do all this stuff. Later on in Isaiah, God is talking to King Cyrus, and he calls him his anointed, and he says to Cyrus, even though you don't acknowledge me, I will cause you to do this. And Cyrus was the one who gave permission for Jerusalem to begin to be rebuilt after the exile. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand, and he directs it like a water course wherever he wishes. God controls those who rule, whether or not they acknowledge him. 
And so whether it is our prime minister, whether or not it is our premier, whether or not it is our mayor, whether or not it is our town council, God controls those who rule because he is interested and involved in the affairs of not just our town, not just our province, not just our country, but he's involved in Egypt. He's involved in Syria. He's involved in Israel. He's involved in Greece. He's involved in Italy and all the rest of those places. He sets up kings and deposes them, and then he directs the king's heart like a watercourse wherever he pleases. So, what do we do with it? If that's true, the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, if we rebel against the government, we're rebelling against God, and we're calling down judgment on ourselves. So what do we do? What is the Christian's responsibility toward government? Number one, submit. And oh, how we hate that word. You know, rebellion is the number one sin in all of human history. Did God really say? The sin of the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? I will do it myself. I will make my own decisions. And the problem is that in a democracy, we elect our leaders and then we refuse to submit to the authority when, that we have given them when they step on our toes. It's a difficult thing. You elect your leader, you give that person authority, and then you don't like what he does or she does. But the reality is when we rebel, we rebel against God, and when we rebel against God, you bring judgment on yourself. Here at Emmanuel for the last month or so, or more, we've been asking people to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And if you've never done that, let me urge you to do that. I have a book on my desk that I read where this man read a chapter out of Proverbs every day for five years and changed his entire life around by the principles of God's Word. But today is the first. You read chapter 1. Yesterday was the 30th. I read chapters 30 and 31. But if you've been reading Proverbs, I don't know if you've been doing that. And if you haven't been, let me urge you to get back into it or to get started on it. But if you've been reading Proverbs, notice when you read through Proverbs how when you do the right things, you don't need to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. Do you notice when you do the right things how God defends you and backs you up and how your life will turn out right in the end? You see, when you do something wrong, you live in fear. I don't know how you do, but, well, it hasn't happened for a long time, but I used to see the red and blue lights, well, you know, it used to just be the red lights behind me fairly regularly. Anybody know what that feels like? You know? And, and, and your heart always starts to accelerate just a little bit especially if you set the cruise at a hundred and a quarter or something like that. You know, you know you did something wrong. You know that, that, that sooner or later, and, and you live in fear. There, there's this fear that we develop sometimes. The Bible says if you don't do anything wrong, you don't need to be afraid. And sometimes people get a conscience that is impervious to fear and, and it gets seared. And, and the problem that we have sometimes, and it's, it's one of the issues that parents face sometimes, how do you get a big enough stick to induce some fear into your child when that child or that person isn't afraid of anything? 
But the Bible says that the government is God's agent of wrath. He's God's servant to do you good. That's why God puts the government in place. But he's also God's agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And it's we need to submit to the government, first of all, so that we don't live in fear. Secondly, so that our conscience uh, doesn't rag on us. Okay, so... How do we live with government? One, we submit. Two, we pay taxes. Hate that word too. Hate doing it even more, and it never seems fair. Somebody's always getting away with something, but I have to pay taxes. Then the Bible says here, verse 7, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. You and I, as Christians, have an obligation to respect our town officials, our law enforcement people, all the way up to prime minister's office, which includes our government employees. And yeah, sometimes you get civil servants who are neither civil nor servile. And sometimes you and I need to register a complaint. But we can do that without being a jerk about it. You know, I, I don't know if you remember when the GST first came to Canada, do you remember that? You know, I hate, I hate doing that, that GST. But the whining that went on, at least it never went on anywhere else, but in Nippon here, the cashiers in, in the restaurant that got an earful from people about having to pay GST on their restaurant food, it's not the cashier's fault, it's the government that did it to us. But respect. Submit, pay taxes, respect. Honor. When's the last time you and I honored someone in government? We need to pray for them. The Bible says the passage I read for you earlier, I urge them, first of all, that request, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And sometimes we don't like some of the people who wear the uniforms, but they're still agents that God has put in place. We're told to do good, to live free, but to use our freedom to serve God and to respect and honor. Proverbs 20, 24, 21, verse 22, or 20, verses 21 and 22 says, Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with the rebellious, for those two will send sudden destruction upon them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. We need to be so careful of criticizing. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20, Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because of the bird of the air may carry your words, and a bird of the wing may report what you say. And maybe today, on Canada Day, you and I need to check our thoughts and our attitudes, and maybe check our words, and maybe we need to submit to Scripture. Maybe you and I need to admit that we've been wrong and confess to God and say, Lord, the government is what you've put in place. You've put it here, and I need to learn to submit, to respect, and to honor. And maybe you need to admit to someone else that you've been wrong as well. Father, thank you again for great this great and wonderful land in which you have Placed us, Lord, thank you for those whom you have put in place to rule over us. We pray that you would help us to be obedient to Scripture, to submit, to pay our taxes, to honor, 
to respect and to do the things that please you because ultimately we know that that's the very best for us. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful day.